Welcome to Our Parents Did What? A tour of the parenting perils of yesteryear. I'm Diane Aragona. And I'm your co-host, Jen Tierney. Join us as we travel back in time to take a look at the sometimes unbelievable history of parenting. Hey, Diane. Hi, Jen. What's up? Oh, my goodness. Just, uh, just trying to get through this crazy thing called life. I feel that. I really do. It's been, um... It's been a year, man. I mean, I can't believe that it is October 1st. Oh, yeah. Because time since COVID just... Time is very strange. I don't know. It is. It's... I think the thing that I like most about it is that it it has proven to me how truly subjective time is because it doesn't feel like we've ever lived in a world before COVID, but also everything feels like it just has, happens in the blink of an eye because we have children and like everything happens in the blink of an eye with children. Yeah. So yeah, it's really, it's been fascinating. I do have to say it's been really cool to be home so much because you know, because Liam mm-hmm. is around the same age. They're at that age where they're just like, they'll do something new like every day. Oh, yeah. And it's really cool to be home to to watch all of that. It's fun. true. It's so nice. So tell me about your most recent mom moment. Okay. So uh, mine is kind of like a a follow-up or like a check-in from one of my previous mom moments. So remember when I was really freaking out because my the doctor said that Irene was underweight and she was in the ninth percentile and I was very upset. And since then, we took her to the dentist for her first dentist appointment. And the dentist looked in her mouth and turns out she had five or six teeth coming in at the same time, four of which were molars. <gasps> so no wonder she wasn't eating. Yeah, poor baby. Poor baby. And I couldn't see because they were all like in the back except for one in the front. Yeah. So she wasn't eating because her mouth was probably in so much pain. But anyway, we took her to the doctor um, yesterday and she gained a full pound. She is now in the 24th percentile for Good weight. For her. And uh, the doctor is not concerned at all. And and when, once we told him about the dentist appointment, he was like, oh, that totally explains it. But we are giving her Pediasure if she ever like has a bad eating day. Mm-mm. Yeah, she's she's doing really well and she's eating more and she's slightly less picky, so it's it's been good. That's great. Good job, Rini. Way to go, girl. What about you? All right, so as you know, I moved house. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh my word, what a whirlwind. We're still unpacking. It's crazy, but we we just moved like a half a mile away from our previous house. But we just we just kind of outgrown the old space. Not that it was too small, just that it didn't function the way our family needed it to function. It was a it was a raised ranch and it only had one bathroom and it was just like it, it was all open concept so it was just one big room for our children to throw their toys everywhere and it was just a nightmare. And now we're in a place with a lot of like separate spaces so we can keep their messes much more contained, which is quite nice. The biggest reason why we wanted to move was because we lived on like the busiest street at the busiest intersection and there was no fence around our house. So like if my children got outside and we weren't with them, it was just like my heart, like, ugh. Oh yeah, I can't even imagine. It was awful and it was constant. So 
The biggest benefit about this move is that we're still on a relatively busy street, but now we're in a like a back lot. We're like back behind the houses that are on the like right up against the road. That's so interesting. Yeah, it's great. We're, we're like tucked inside this little wooded area and we have this big long driveway that goes uphill. So like if the kids want to run to the road, it takes a lot of effort and energy on their part. And I have plenty of time to catch up to them. So it's just great. And so the way that our kids play now is totally different and it's much more independent. It's much more adventurous. We've only been here like three weeks. Isn't that crazy how quickly they adapt? It's amazing. And so their new favorite thing is we have like, we have a wagon, like a a big plastic, like big wheeled wagon. And Emma picks up Liam, who's like 16 months old, and she puts him into the wagon and her and Joey, one of them hold like the handle at the front and the other one pushes at the back. And they just like push him around the driveway, screaming and yelling and laughing and having a grand old time for like 30 minutes. Oh, stop. It's too much. It's, it's just so lovely. Cute. And Liam just sits in the in the little cart, just clapping his hands and screaming. And I'm just like, this is just, this is what I wanted for my life. And now I've got it. Booyah. <laughs> Nice. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's really nice. So, And Emma must be happy having a little more of her own space. Oh, I yeah. Think. When we walked into the house for the first time and we brought her upstairs and like the boys went into their room because she was sharing a room with Joey in the old house and she walked into her room and she turned around and looked at me. I have it on video and she's like, is this mine? And I was like, yeah, this is your room. And she turns around and just very matter of factly, like not overly excited or anything. She looks at me and she goes, this is exactly what I wanted. It was so funny. She wasn't like, this is great. I love it so much. She right. just looked at me like, you got it, mom. This is exactly what I wanted. I approve. You did well. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we should we dive into my topic? Yes, please. Okay. So I picked this topic sort of because I've been really busy and thought that it would probably not take a lot of time to research. <laughs> but... <laughs> I was wrong, and not only was there more than I thought there would be, but it took me in a very strange direction that I was not expecting. So I am doing the history of the pacifier. <gasps> Hooray! Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I have done, like, the very briefest, tiniest bit of research into this just because, like, whenever you look up wacky history of child rearing, pacifier always comes up. So I have like a very, very, very high level understanding of the silliness of pacifier history. I am ready. I'm here for this. I hope I do it justice. So <laughs> here we go. I'm breaking this up into three sections. So we're just going to start out with like who made the first mass produced pacifier. And then that's going to take us into more of the bizarre side of the history of the, I guess the the pacifiers that we know of today. And then I'm going to talk at the end a little bit about what were used as pacifiers and soothing, you know, sucking things before the pacifier was like patented. So we're going backwards in time today. Yeah, we sort of are. Excellent. Okay, let's do it. So Christian W. Meineke, he was a Manhattan druggist, which I have to assume was a pharmacist of the day. He patented a number of strange medical devices including, this made me laugh, a sputum cup and holder. And this is my favorite. I don't know what this is. I didn't care to look. A self-retaining rectal tube. <laughs> I don't know what self-retaining 
has to do with it? I don't anyway. know. Maybe it's for like, like if you have a prolapse or something. I don't know. That's very strange. But also, didn't cowboys like perfect the sputum holder? <laughs> As we'll see, this guy basically took what like people had been doing for a long time and like slapped his own name on it. Got it. Especially with the rectal tube. <laughs> exactly. We've been doing that forever. <laughs> So he patented a a new design for a baby comforter in 1901. Even though people had been giving babies things to suck on forever, he decided that he could make one that was better. So his baby comforter consisted of India rubber on the nipple. That's what the nipple was made out of. Mm -hmm. And it was attached to a disc-shaped shield that kept the nipple from being like swallowed into the baby's mouth and choking it. And then... Other inventors, after he patented that basic design, other inventors added the ring that most pacifiers have that you can pull to pull it out of the baby's mouth. Back then, it was really just the rubber nipple and then the shield. The rubber nipples were processed. Okay, are you ready for this? Sure, yes. (laughs) Hit me. The rubber nipples were processed with sulfur. Oh, no. It smelled really bad. Now, I went to Iceland, and everything smells like sulfur, and everything just smells like farts. So... (laughs) All that made me think of was like how gross like the water smelled in Iceland. And I was like, imagine putting that in a baby's mouth. No, yuck. Gross. (laughs) So that made me chuckle a little. Some were tinted white to make them look nicer. But the way you tinted them white was with lead. Oh, my God. So that was probably problematic. And then um, the, the shields themselves were sometimes made of bone or ivory or aluminum or plastic. But soon after the pacifier was patented and made, not only did parents just love it and want all of them and really, you know, adopted this as like common practice, but experts and doctors and lots of people were completely outraged and were very against the pacifier. In 1909, an outraged person wrote a letter to the editor of the New York Times saying that this was a villainous contrivance, which was said to thicken the tongue and deform the mouth. Oh, no. And other ills were attributed to the pacifier, uh, the spread of disease, a lifetime of self-abuse. But the most interesting one that caught my eye, which led me down a rabbit hole, was that they were convinced that children who used pacifiers, more specifically children who sucked for pleasure, as they put it, and I guess not for food, we're going to become lifelong masturbators. So I'm pretty sure, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure that that's what self-abuse means, Diane, in historical terms. Oh, you're right. I think that that's what that means. Didn't even put that together. I was thinking self-harm when I read no, that. Oh, I think it means like chronic masturbation. Yeah. Well, now that you said that, <laughs> I think you're right. So yeah, it was that was a real common thought. Yeah, hugely common. Because then I I went like and Googled that and I got this great article on Mm salon.com. This was like a mass hysteria thing. Like people were really concerned that pacifiers were going to make your baby become like a chronic masturbator. Which first of all, like, I mean, I don't know how how adult we want to get in this podcast, but like uh, maybe I shouldn't go there. No, I mean, so let me just say as a mom of three young children – if your kid isn't touching their bits, they're not normal. I mean, they all really They all do. Yes. Well, first time Rini did it, I think it really freaked out my husband. And I was like, she's just she's just noticing that there's something down there. Yeah. It's totally normal. <laughs> but also, like, 
I mean, masturbation is a fairly normal, healthy part of adult life. And, yes. you know, discovering your sexuality is something that all young adults do. Mm-hmm. But I think back in the 1800s and the early 1900s, people didn't think that way. So um, the hysteria began in 1879 when a disturbing illustration of a six-year-old thumb pleasure sucker with active assistance <laughs> appeared in a German medical journal, and that was that was a quote. Um, oh no! So the, the illustration, apparently, it it didn't leave anything to the imagination about what active assistance meant. So I think active assistance meant that they were like pleasuring their genitals. Yeah, while sucking on a pacifier. Yeah. Nice. Yes, yeah. or their thumb. They were even sucking fingers was bad. Yeah, the sucking of the fingers, lips, etc., by children, also known as pleasure sucking. Dr. S. Lindner concluded that infantile sucking was the cause of chronic masturbation. And the way he discovered this, or so he says, was that he did a study of 69 children who habitually comfort sucked. He himself admitted that only four of those 69 children sucked with what he called active assistance of the genitals. But he took that small number of four children to be proof of his hypothesis and did no further research. (laughs) So when was this exactly again? 1879. Okay, so let me tell you, who was born in 1856? Who? Sigmund Freud. (laughs) He comes up. Oh, yes. I knew it was only a matter of time. If it has to do with masturbation, Freud's in there. He is not to be left out of this conversation. Absolutely not. Lindner's article, like, launched a parental crusade against pacifiers. Parents were freaking out. And then it inspired Freud several decades later. And by the turn of the century, psychologists everywhere were, like, very interested in how infantile sucking um, and infantile sexuality, which is, like, crazy that's even a thing, how that would affect, you know, people later in life. So psychologists started drawing a parallel between sucking and drug addiction, (laughs) not just sucking and masturbation. So they concluded that all addiction was caused by sucking. Yeah, all cultural vices. In 1925, the American psychologist James Mercer actually said, and I quote, the drive behind the smoking habit cannot be due to the specific effects of tobacco as a drug, for these are negligible in any case. The ultimate effects of alcohol and tobacco are largely fictitious. Sucking was the true menace. (gasps) What? (laughs) Blame those babies. Today, that sounds so ridiculous. They also believe that sucking caused childhood diseases. They said, remember that a baby that has a dummy is like a tiger that has tasted blood. Mm. (laughs) To prevent your baby from sucking, parents were instructed by doctors to tie their children's hands to their cribs Mm. or to stuff their hands inside aluminum mittens. Oh, my God. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) Jeez. Wow. So... Obviously, we don't think that way anymore. Thank God. Yeah. My goodness. Things are still very controversial for different reasons. Yes. So through the middle of the last century, the question of why babies pleasure suck or suck not to get nutrients 
it becomes a major question. They've found, obviously, that it's soothing. They used to think that that was a bad thing. But now, overwhelmingly, the research is saying that it's actually a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Premature infants who are given pacifiers mature faster, and they actually leave the hospitals and the NICUs sooner, which we know now. Mm-hmm. Non-nutritive sucking is now like a standard of care for babies that are born early preterm. Mm-hmm. Pacifiers are apparently highly effective pain relievers. I did not know that. And we still don't know how. And this has fascinated me since Rini was born because she wouldn't take a pacifier when she was a newborn. And it freaked me out because it seriously reduces the risk of SIDS. Yeah. And they don't know why, which I find so interesting. I remember when I had Rini being very torn about whether I should give her a pacifier because... I wanted to breastfeed and I had heard of nipple confusion, mm. which we're going to get to, <laughs> but she wouldn't take one. She had no interest. I tried a bunch of different kinds. Then when she was randomly like four months old, she took one and it really helped her sleep and it helped us when we were sleep training. And she still has a pacifier when she naps and sleeps today, but she would not take one for the first like four or five months of her life. That's how Liam was too. He didn't take it at first. And then he was like, oh, this thing's great. <laughs> The American Academy of Pediatrics actually recommends that you use a pacifier at night and during naps because it reduces the risk of SIDS. And apparently that was a very controversial decision. Mm. And lactation consultants and some doctors and midwives were extremely against that. In a recent book on infant development, they say pacifiers provide comfort, promote physiological tranquility, and help in growth and development. But... Then you have the other side of the coin, which, like I said, is lactation consultants and some midwives, some doctors who say that pacifiers are very bad because they cause nipple confusion. However, there are really not that many good studies that support that idea. The evidence that nipple confusion is even a thing is apparently very wishy-washy. Not saying that some babies don't get confused, but as like a general rule, there really isn't any research that supports that, that people should be very wary of giving children pacifiers because it means they won't breastfeed. Mm. So that was interesting because when I first had Rini, all I saw on every mommy forum and everything I read was nipple confusion, nipple confusion, nipple confusion. Over my first two breastfeeding forays, I worked with three different lactation consultants and every single one of them was like, don't give your kid a pacifier. It will just confuse them. You'll never be able to breastfeed successfully. And honest to goodness, until I started using a pacifier, breastfeeding was hard. And then like the introduction of the pacifier somehow made it easier. So I think like it taught them how to suck and made those muscles stronger. I agree because I had a lot of trouble breastfeeding my daughter till she was six months old mm-hmm. and she started taking a pacifier on four or five months, I think. And it actually improved. And the doctor had said that she had a very high palate and a possible lip tie. I remember him saying that she probably just can't suck hard enough and get a good enough suction. And then she started taking the pacifier. So who knows? But it definitely didn't impede her ability. Mm. It is confusing for moms, though, because the American Academy of Pediatrics says that you should use a pacifier, but UNICEF and the WHO 
They require that hospitals give no pacifiers or artificial nipples to any breastfeeding infants because they believe that it could cause nipple confusion and impede breastfeeding. Jeez. So it's like, what is right and what is wrong? Who knows? Who knows? So the interesting thing, I guess, in the history of pacifiers and their controversy is that the controversy is still there. It has just shifted in why we're concerned. Mm -hmm. But moms usually don't seem to care because pacifiers are extremely popular. Mm -hmm. What did they use as pacifiers before there were pacifiers? Yeah. Before Meineke uh, made his baby comforter in 1901, parents used knotted rags dipped in water or honey, Mm -hmm. wooden beads or gum sticks made of stone, bone, or coral, Mm. which I thought was interesting. Yeah. The oldest known pacifier uh, was found during an archaeological dig of a 3,000-year-old site in Italy. It basically gave us the information that parents gave their children small clay objects shaped like pigs or frogs, featuring a hole in the mouth from which the baby could suck honey or sugar, which you probably wouldn't do today, but interesting. Yeah, I mean... I would imagine if your kid is teething or having a rough time and you need to soothe them. I mean, I can imagine giving giving them like honey or something sweet that, you know, yeah. Yeah, they didn't know anything back then that that was bad. I mean, I, as soon as my kids turned one, I was like, you can have sugar and honey now. <laughs> Reenie loves honey. We put yeah. honey in her yogurt every morning. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. After the clay objects, people would make pacifiers out of metals like gold, silver, or even pearl. But if you weren't wealthy, like we said, you know, poorer families would use wood or bone pacifiers. Some pacifiers actually acted dually as pacifiers and teethers and a barrier to evil spirits. Oh, very nice. You know you need that. (laughs) (laughs) Depending on the stage of teething, parents of the time may have possibly mistaken their children for a drooling demon. And from time to time, babies were actually um, given tied fabric stuffed with food, soaked with brandy to get them to like snap out of it and stop drooling and stop crying. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) But I feel like whiskey and the gums and that whole thing, like that's been going on for. Yeah, yeah. My parents, not with me, like their parents did it with them. Yeah, it's not it's not that long ago, but it, it reminds me of the uh, the changelings from the infant exposure episode, where you know, like when you have babies that are just so out of control, they must not be human. <laughs> Absolutely, I know. <laughs> oh my goodness! And that's basically it. From from there, we go to the 19th century, which is when we start to get the rubber pacifiers. Hmm. Jeez. And that is the history of the pacifier. Let's do a little segment of your parents did what, our favorite thing. Mm -hmm. And my best friend, Cassandra, reminded me of a very funny little story of when she was born that made me chuckle. So in 1989, when my best friend, Cassandra, was born, her parents took her home from the hospital in a Halloween costume, like a, I think it, I think it was a cheetah. Oh, it was a leopard, I think. Okay. January. In January. <laughs> so they have like, I have to get, I'll get a picture if I can Twist. of her mom, but 
<laughs> they took her home from the hospital in January in like a like a leopard Halloween costume, and then they didn't go right home first. They went to her grandfather's store, which was like a convenience store with a bunch of like you know guys hanging out, the post office. <laughs> And a couple of other places just to show off the baby <laughs> in the leopard costume. Oh my goodness, that's so funny! I got a kick out of that. I thought that was just a funny little story. Oh jeez, that is pretty good. Yeah, so that's a cute one. So thank you, Cassandra, for reminding me of that. Tell people where they can find us. Yes, so you can find us. You can find us all over the place. I mean, you can find us in our homes if you know where we live. We're always happy to see you from a distance. You have to stand across the yard from us and wave. But one day, maybe in person again. So we have an email address at opdwpodcast at gmail.com and you can send us any of your crazy parenting stories that belong to you or to your parents or to your grandparents or to somebody you're distantly related to a family friend an acquaintance anyone (laughs) we want all of your wacky parenting stories because they are a riot and we love them so yeah you can hit us up there you can also send us your mom and dad moments that are just nice or not so nice things that are happening to you right now you can get in touch with us on twitter or instagram our handle is at opdw podcast and we also have a facebook page and we like to post about episodes and fun interesting parenting and child rearing history facts we find on the interwebs and share them with people so it's a fun little place to give you a little bit of distraction momentarily from all the other things in your feed that are probably depressing you tremendously from the fact that we're probably living through Armageddon. Yes, yes. <laughs> you, like we're all frogs slowly boiling in a pot of water, but but we'll give you a splash of cold water occasionally. We sure will. Yeah, <laughs> it's fun. It's fun where we are. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I want to thank Theo for our music. So thank you to Theo Rosenberg. Thank you, Theo. Okay, Diane, until next time. Did someone say pleasure sucking? Get out of here, Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud.